You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you enjoy what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and the Odyssey app. Doing so is absolutely free and ensures you never miss another episode. Tonight's podcast is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the Spotify Green Room app and find one of our locked on rooms. Spotify Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. On tonight's episode, I thought I would talk about Tampa Bay versus Montreal game number three. We've got about a period left in the proceedings, but I think we all have a pretty good idea of uh, some early thoughts from the game. We'll talk about some of the conclusions towards the end of this episode, uh, as well as like third period thoughts and maybe what to expect in game number four, but, you know, for now, let's talk about the start of it. And then after we cover this game, we will also talk about some of the Euro 2020 results from today in the quarterfinals matches. Game three of the Stanley Cup Finals, though, I think a lot of us were probably hoping that Montreal would at least make things competitive, but right off the bat, in the first couple of minutes, Montreal gave up two really fast goals to the to the Lightning, and it's, it's not super surprising, right? Tampa Bay is a very aggressive team, they're very fast, But I will say what I was kind of surprised by was that Price looked a little bit shaky, and it felt like Tampa Bay was sort of running Montreal into the ground inside the defensive zone. It felt like the Habs, every time they would try to make a clean zone exit, basically ran in circles. For those of you who have watched Winnipeg's defense desperately try to clear a puck under pressure, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is like watching a Winnipeg Jets fire drill about 20 times over. It's sort of funny that the uh, the Habs swept the Jets and then kind of turned into the Jets, defensively speaking at least. Once Montreal was able to exit out of their own zone, things improved significantly. I felt like off the rush, they created a couple of good looks. Andre Vasilevsky had to be pretty sharp. The tough thing about beating Vasilevsky off the rush, though, is that if you don't have a really rapid cycle or a good screen or something, he's like a huge, huge guy. So you don't have much of the net to shoot at, and it forces you to pick your corners. Montreal took a few minutes to start warming up, and especially those two opening goals at home kind of stunned them just a little bit. After they sort of settled down, though, you could tell that they were definitely looking for at least a couple of good shooting angles off the rush. It wasn't really developing, and there weren't many cycling opportunities either. But towards the end of the first period, they finally got a bit of a break. There was a really good rush led by Brendan Gallagher, who apparently just never stops bleeding. I guess you could say he bleeds Montreal or something. Kind of a uh, strange occurrence for him to constantly be injured, but that dude, he's just constantly battered. And yet, you know, as much as everyone knows him for being a really tough customer, he's also an incredibly gifted playmaker. And I thought he had a really nice opportunity here where his line mate Philip Deneau was trailing behind him with the puck. And Gallagher seemed to recognize that the best opportunity was for him to drive inside the slot and either create some sort of chaos with a screen or hope for a deflection that he could tip. He opted for the screen here just to get in front of um, Vasilevsky's eyes and tie up the defender right in front of him, and Philip Deneau took all of the time he needed and picked a beautiful corner to go over the shoulder. That goal felt like a very crucial lifeline and one that the Habs desperately needed in light of the fact that they were trailing badly in this game and honestly looking just for about any sort of of air to breathe. Montreal didn't look terrible inside the offensive zone, but once it got back to their own end of the ice, things kind of escalated quickly, so... I think Montreal was just hoping for at least one little bit of sign of life, 
And then things kind of unraveled again once they got to the second period. You know, Tampa Bay, offensively, especially once they get their, their cross-C movement going, the really fast overlaps that essentially cut diagonal angles across the slot, and all of these really deceptive passes and overlaps and missed assignments, it just makes Tampa Bay a really tough customer. And Montreal's defense was very clearly overwhelmed in this game. They brought in Eric Gustafson and, of course, John Merrill, who I keep forgetting is a hab. I, I remember Merrill, I think he was last with Vegas and then he got traded for but, you know, neither of these guys are really fleet of foot. And when you combine that with the rest of the AD core that's also not very fast, it sets up a tough recipe for the Habs to try and break out. And very quickly into the second period, they surrendered two more goals. Price was left in, and I feel like he probably at least feels a little bit responsible. But honestly, this is just what Tampa Bay does. If you just give them an inch, like I said, they take 10 miles. They're a really good team. They're very fast. And even when they're playing poorly, which this was not one of those games they score bucket loads of goals very easily. When you've got guys like Victor Hedman and Kucherov and Tyler Johnson, it's it's tough, man. I mean, Stamkos is another fantastic goal scorer. Even Pat Maroon brings some kind of value on the fourth line, and that's even before getting into guys like Anthony Sorelli and Yanni Gord. So again, this team is built to contend. It's built to, well, not just contend, but really dominate. And I feel like if Jan Ruta is also scoring, it's probably not going to be Montreal's night. So, rough second period. But, right before the uh, the second period whistle blew, Montreal did get one extra lifeline to maybe try and salvage this game. They cut the deficit to just two goals thanks to Nick Suzuki, kind of sneaking one underneath um, Vasilevsky's right pad. This is an absolutely greasy goal and one that I'm sure Vasilevsky will be pissed about. I, I know that he's kind of a perfectionist, and when he surrenders something like this, he gets very frustrated. You know, most goalies will certainly point the fingers at themselves. And this one is just one of those those goals against that Vasilevsky seems very prone to surrendering. I feel like Vasi is amazing at a lot of different shots, but sometimes these ones where he's either screened for just a half second or for whatever reason doesn't set or react in time to a low shot just seems to be something he really struggles with. I, I don't know why this is, but it definitely seems to be a trend with him. All that said, the rest of his body of work is so freaking impressive that I don't think it really matters all that much. So long as he doesn't surrender enough goals to put the, the Lightning in a bad position, I'm pretty sure that's all they care about right now. They have plenty of great shooters to sort of shoot their way out of any sort of deficit they're in. Of course, the Lightning don't really trail much in this series, so uh, obviously I think Montreal has a very uphill battle. They're going to have to saw Vasilevsky very quickly, and right now they're fighting for their playoff lives. I mean, this is this is the big kahuna for them. They've come very far but I think they're getting a very harsh reminder in just how difficult it is to actually be a Stanley Cup champ, especially against a team like Tampa Bay. There are plenty of great teams in the NHL, but none are really on the level of a Tampa Bay, and I think it's very obvious that when you see them playing against the Lightning, you get the sense of where the rest of the NHL is in comparison to Tampa's roster. We'll find out if uh, Montreal has it in them to come back in this game and maybe get a chance to at least scratch out one win in the series. It's a tough one. I, I think it's a really tall order. I don't know that they can pull it off, but I'm not going to write them off quite yet. They've had really impressive turnarounds in other series. They were down 3-1 to Toronto before they turned it around and ended up winning that series, but Tampa Bay is a little bit of a different animal. So we'll dive into the third period shortly and see if Montreal has an ace up its sleeve. Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are talking about uh, Montreal versus Tampa Bay, and, you know, unfortunately things did not get much better for the Canadians. After managing to cut the deficit down to two goals against, Montreal was definitely chasing the the, uh, the tying goal towards the end of the period. I thought during the third they were 
very aggressive, lots of shots on goal. You could kind of see Tampa Bay sitting deep and allowing Montreal to do its thing while chasing the game, and then just hoping for a nice little counter here and there to put the game away. Finally, they ended up getting that counter with Tyler Johnson outracing a couple of different Montreal skaters. I'm not entirely sure how he managed to beat three Montreal skaters in the same instance, but thanks to a very generous rebound from Carey Price, Tyler was able to tap home the fifth goal of the game for the Tampa Bay Lightning, and things looked more or less done. But, um, of course, Montreal pulled the goalie, decided enough is enough, let's try and make this at least a little bit of a game, and less than a minute later, Corey Perry cuts the deficit down back to two goals with a beautiful snipe over Vasilevsky's shoulder. This goal was almost below the goal line, a fantastic shot from a very sharp angle, not the kind that you would normally expect to beat most tenders, but Perry managed to get his hands onto the top of the cookie shelf and pulled off a miraculous snipe that maybe was a lifeline. Unfortunately, that lifeline only lasted about a minute because Blake Coleman put home an empty net thanks to a very bad miscommunication between Cole Caulfield and Jeff Petrie inside the defensive zone. I don't know that you can really be upset at any of these guys. I think Montreal at this point is just tired and you can kind of see that it's been a very tough series so far. They're definitely a team that you can tell is not quite on the level of a Tampa Bay because let's be honest, there aren't any other teams that are really on the level of a Tampa Bay. And to some degree, I think that this is an issue that I have in general. A lot of people are like, well, Montreal sort of lucked its way to the cup, and I, I don't think that's entirely fair. I feel like Montreal did exactly what it was supposed to do. They survived the games that they needed to. They beat Toronto in a bit of a topsy-turvy series. But from then on, they actually played some pretty competitive hockey. And even in some of these games against Tampa Bay, they've not been terrible. The problem is that when you're facing a team like the Lightning, you can't really make any mistakes. Tampa is built to either be really good and dominate play, or even if they're poor, they can actually capitalize on almost anything you give them. And in Montreal's case, the defense has been very turnover happy. There have been a lot of mistakes, miscommunications, very dumb decisions, poor passes, just stuff that you really can't allow to have happen against a team that employs so many talented shooters. And so going into game four, I don't really know what you, you do. I don't know if you make adjustments because I, I look at this team and I feel like Montreal is just out of its depth right now, but the first thing that they could do is probably bench Eric Gustafson, and I would also bench John Merrill, maybe. Kulak and whoever else they have available to man that third pairing probably would be a, a nice idea, I guess. I don't know, you're basically grasping at straws, but Gustafson definitely has to come off. I'm pretty sure it was his turnover that ended up giving Tyler Johnson the fifth goal and basically killed any hope of getting into this game for Montreal, so... Yeah, you know, Gustafson, he hasn't really been very good for the Habs. I feel like he was brought in to do one thing, and that was be an offensive contributor, and he's not even really good at that. So, yeah, bye-bye, back to the bench, bring Kulak back in. Um, as far as the rest of the team is concerned, I, I just feel like you have to play and hope that Price maybe rebounds in form. I feel like Montreal has basically exhausted its options. There's not much that you can do other than make fewer mistakes, and I don't know that the Habs are going to be able to do that. The mistakes that they make are, are IQ issues in some areas, or sometimes just forced mistakes from Tampa Bay being so aggressive and scary to play against. It's a very high-pressure situation when you're in the Stanley Cup Finals, and you have to make a lot of really precise plays. The Lightning can execute on these with almost relative ease, but, you know, you look at Montreal, and it's much harder for them to actually come up with the same stuff. I think Montreal has done a really good job of getting this far, and, of course, making the Cup Final is, is no easy feat, but... This is probably as far as they go. I think they've accomplished a lot, but when you look at this Tampa Bay team, there just aren't enough weaknesses to exploit. You would have to really catch Vasilevsky napping or, or the rest of the Lightning roster moving really slowly, I guess. And it doesn't even seem likely for a game right now. 
I, I feel bad for Montreal because I feel like they, they got through some really tough times and this season has been absolute chaos for them. And to get through Vegas and Winnipeg and some of these other teams only to fall to Tampa Bay in like four games, that's really tough. But it's just how it is, man. I mean, you look at this team, you look at the rest of the league, and I don't really feel like anyone else would compete with the Lightning. Sure, you can win a couple of games against Tampa, but beyond that, I don't think you can survive a seven-game series. Their roster's just built better than everyone else's. And they've also got a really good coaching staff that backs the players well, um, understands how to make the most of their skill sets for the most part. I just feel like there's not really many, many holes that you can poke into this team. I think the lesson that I want a team like the Jets to take from this is that you have to be really aggressive to format your team in the way that Tampa Bay is built because Tampa's built with speed and skill. You're not trying to build a roster to beat Montreal or even Vegas. If you want to win a championship, you have to model your team like Tampa is. I mean, that's that's for me the role model. That's the best in the league, and it's not really close. The only other team in the NHL that's really doing anything close to what Tampa has done is Colorado, and even they didn't get as far as they were hoping. So it's not like it's a, a guaranteed path to success, but certainly for Colorado, I mean, they were one of the most exciting teams in the NHL. And obviously they do have some things that they need to work on in terms of uh, defensive vulnerabilities, but if they work those out and they start to see some of their young players continue to mature and gain experience, that's an incredibly dangerous future pipeline. I compare and contrast that with Winnipeg, and I just wonder what exactly the Jets are thinking about when they see these teams and, and they realize they got swept by Montreal, who is then getting swept by Tampa Bay. You know, if you if you see that this is how far you are from contending, what is your message and takeaway? Is it that you can do things the same way that you've been doing for the past several years? Or do you finally realize this is the time to be aggressive and start thinking about the long-term future of the Jets? You know, I'm talking about the, the Stanley Cup Finals here, but obviously this kind of stuff does pertain to Winnipeg since the Jets were one of Montreal's top contenders in terms of teams in the North Division that were standing in the way of them reaching the Cup Finals. And so I, I'm kind of aghast at how the Jets have not really been making moves in the sense of building a team for a true contender. They keep taking these lateral half steps that don't really do anything, and I, I look at this team like Tampa Bay and I'm just like, that is, for me, an incredible squad, and yes, Tampa Bay can do certain things that the Jets can't really pull off. That is 100% accurate. But at the very least, the Jets could be a little bit more aggressive and work on their tactical approaches to make the most of the existing talent. You know, the guys that they have on the team right now, some of them are fantastic attackers, and yet we're not really seeing the best out of anyone on this team, save for like two people. I just hope that watching Montreal struggle against a team like Tampa Bay is kind of a warning sign for what happens once you make it out of your own division or into the later rounds of the cup finals. You need to be prepared to face off against a team like this. They're pretty much better than everyone, and if you want to match up to their level of play, you're going to have to follow their example. Who knows if the Jets are going to surprise us this offseason. I'm not putting money on it, but maybe Winnipeg will prove me wrong and show that they can be a true contender in the coming seasons. For now, though, I'm going to stop ranting about the Jets and talk about something that is, in my opinion, way more exciting right now, and that is the Euro 2020 tournament. Before we get to that, though, I thought I'd tell you about why Bilt Bar should be your protein bar of choice. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, by now you know that I'm personally a huge fan of Bilt Bars. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, they're the best tasting protein bar on the market because they're more like a candy bar with a 100% chocolate exterior and a soft chewy interior. They come in nine delicious flavors like salted caramel, mint brownie, raspberry, and more. 
but you should always stay tuned to BuiltBar.com and all of their social media channels because Built will often drop very special, limited edition, limited quantity flavors that you really don't want to miss because once they're gone, they may be gone for good. These include things like Churro Puff, Grasshopper Cookie, and so many other phenomenal flavors. As good as Built Bars taste, though, they're even better for you, with most bars clocking in at around 130 to 180 calories, 70 to 18 grams of protein, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. They're perfect for every lifestyle, whether you want to maintain or lose weight. To place your order, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 at checkout for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are concluding tonight's episode with some thoughts about the Euro 2020. We are now into the quarterfinals round. It is the last hurrah for this competition, which has been several weeks of absolute insanity. Today was probably no different, although I think some of these matches were um, maybe not quite as crazy as what we were expecting, but I would say Switzerland versus Spain, very crazy. This one was a tight one in which Spain edged out the Swiss in pens. At this point, Switzerland was looking very tired. They had had to survive a red card for, I don't know, 35, 45 minutes. Um, And I would say the red card was pretty harsh. There was a sliding tackle that could have been a yellow for sure. And if it had gone to VAR, maybe they would have said a potential red. But I feel like the tackle itself was best as a yellow. I don't think it was worth the red. But the ref showed red immediately. And it's the kind of call where because it's technically not clear and obvious that the call was wrong, it wouldn't have been overturned. So Switzerland was down a man. You could tell that Spain was feeling it. The The game was deadlocked at 1-1, and the Swiss were basically just hanging on for dear life. Jan Sommer and Nett had to make some amazing saves. Sommer and the Swiss defense had done a fantastic job of, of trying to limit the number of really good shots for Spain, but, I mean, the Spaniards were still putting on some pretty good opportunities on net. Thankfully for the Swiss, nothing went in, and then it got to penalties, and this is where things kind of fell apart. Switzerland had one of the worst set of pen takers I've ever seen, and these guys had actually been very good against France doing the same penalty, so it was kind of shocking to see them really struggle in this game. Spain was honestly not much better, but thanks to a couple of goals, um, despite like a, a miss and a save, it ended up being just enough to push them through. And so Spain will advance on to face the winner of Belgium-Italy, which was the game afterwards. And Italy ended up prevailing 2-1 thanks to some phenomenal goal-scoring efforts from Nicolo Barea, and Lorenzo Insigne. Belgium, for their part, I just feel like they they had opportunities here and there, but they were definitely a step slower than Italy, especially when they had to defend inside their own third. It kind of looked like the difference between Montreal inside the offensive zone and inside the defensive zone. When Belgium was in front of its own box, it was absolute chaos for their defenders to try and contain Italy's forwards. But when they were back in the other side of the pitch, they were actually doing pretty decently. It's just that Gianluigi Donnarumma made some really fantastic saves. He was not able to stop the one penalty from Romelu Lukaku, but it really didn't matter. Italy will face Spain in the next round, and you have to think that they are in fact the favorites for this one because, I mean, Spain's just not that great. I feel like the Spaniards can be a fun team, but they're very inconsistent, and defensively they have some real gaps. Italy is the kind of team that is extremely good at exploiting those gaps and pulling off some really fabulous goals. And then they get into their own defensive third, and it's incredibly hard to break them down. They just do not give you a whole lot of space, and so I would think Spain has a really uphill battle against a team that's just really well organized and has a ton of midfield talent. Tomorrow's matches will decide the other half of the bracket, and these will consist of Czech Republic versus Denmark, and then Ukraine versus England. I'm predicting a Denmark versus England semifinal to decide who will face uh, the winner of Italy versus Spain. But, you know, maybe something crazy happens and we actually get the Czechs and the, the Ukrainians. 
I was about to say I'd be surprised by either of these teams advancing, but with a tournament that has been this unpredictable, honestly, anything could happen. It's been a great Euros. I hope you've been watching it and following along. It's been a fantastic tournament, really setting up for a crazy Olympics that's upcoming as well. So be sure to catch at least a couple of these games, even if you're not super into Euro football. I feel like it's a fantastic tournament. It gives you something in between the Stanley Cup Finals games. And honestly, it's just been a ton of fun to watch this crazy tournament that's had so many upsets and great narratives. Let me know who you're rooting for as we enter the final rounds and into the semifinals. And uh, be sure to let me know at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. For tonight's episode, though, that will do it. Before you log off, don't forget to check out one of our other great podcasts because you can get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite media. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.